worship you, Lord. We need something so much greater than ourselves or anything this world has to offer to worship, to love, and to serve. And right now, God, we just pray that you would descend upon the sanctuary. We pray for your mighty presence to touch every heart, Lord, that your calling, your anointing would rest upon each one in Jesus' name. Let's worship together, church. In Jesus' name. So anybody tired today? Anybody tired? Anybody full of energy today? Well, no matter what it is, the Lord is our strength, right? So Psalm 46 says, God, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You can keep reading that chapter, Psalm 46. So, Lord Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you for giving us wisdom. We thank you for you, Holy Spirit, empowering us to do the things that you've called us to do, Lord God. I thank you that as we worship now, God, I pray that we would just lay aside the cares of this day, that we'd remember where our hope lies. It's in you, Jesus, and we thank you that we have promises all throughout your word. Your word is truth. You are truth, God. I pray that we would cling to the things that we have um, been given, the seeds that have been planted, the words that have been spoken words out of your word, God, not words that man has spoken that may not have brought forth life, but God, may the words of your mouth, the words of truth resonate within us today, God, and we thank you that there will be a day, whether it be us meeting you in the air or we have our moment, we all have a moment, God, but we thank you for your promises. Thank you that we can be with you and we'll be with you if we know you and we trust you, God, thank you for growing us closer to you this day in Jesus' name. So here we go.
hope and that promise that we will be with you for eternity. Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. thank you for loving us first, God. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, God. Like that day that we got together with some people who were playing worship music after playing worship music as a kid for a long time. And I had that moment of remembrance that this is fun. God, I pray that if there's hindrances on people here today, God, that they would discover that worship is, there's nothing like it. Being in the presence of the living God, there's nothing like it. There's fullness of joy in your presence, God. God, may you just fill this place this day, Lord. We know that you're here. We've, we've, we've encountered you here.
Bible says, what does it say? God so loved what? The world. That means everybody. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. He loves us so much. He was willing to be separated from his son for us. He was willing to send his son to the earth as a baby, to be born of man, fully God, fully man. His love is so vast. So I just, there's something that was coming, just even for myself today. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't compare yourself. Don't think you've done this or not done this or haven't, whatever. They've done this. They've gone there. They're that. You know, we've all got our stuff. Every single one of us. But Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free. He's the one that brings fullness of joy in his presence. And as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And he knows us all by name. The song that we're going to sing, the same love that set the captives free, the same love that opened eyes to see is calling us all by name. If you, you've never had like that true moment of heart of worship, just say, God, I want that. Like that woman that poured out that oil on Jesus' feet, that was a, a costly sacrifice. It might cost you a little bit of even your self-pride of just letting go and just letting Jesus worship him and let him do what he will do. He will heal you and he will bring you freedom. So may that happen this, this day in Jesus' name. Choose the humble and raise them high. You choose the weak and make them strong.
God. And you are worthy of all of our worship, God. There's nothing on this earth that deserves our worship. It's you. We sing holy. spirit and in truth. If Jesus is your Savior, he's with you, he's in you, and the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He'll give you comfort, and he will also lead you and direct you and bring to remembrance the things that you've learned about, about God. I was at a family camp this week, and the theme was a glimpse of God, and it was talking about the character, the attributes of God. He's patient, long-suffering, and ultimately, he's love. And you know what? He wants every one of us, and he's pursuing us. And his goodness and mercy and love will follow. It's going gonna, it's gonna to draw us. Just, it's drawing us. 
So respond. He loves you. You tell him back. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my hands I've been set the captives free have you been set free the same love that opened eyes to see have your eyes been opened that same love that heals brokenness that gives strength to the weak humble yourself in the sight of the Lord in due time he'll lift you up he will lift you up cause your goodness is running after it's running after me Sing it like you believe it. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me.
thank you for your goodness and mercy and love. Thank you for giving us what we don't deserve and not giving us what we do. Thank you for giving us life. Amen. We praise you, Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus. Thank you, worship team. You may be seated, church. It's so good to be together in God's presence. As she was singing that song, I couldn't help but think that there is at least one person who feels like, you know, I have a hard time seeing the goodness of God running after me. It feels like it's trouble always running after me. But you know what? Psalms 23, that's where that song comes from. Is In Psalms 23 at the end, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word shall follow me is pursue me, as if you're being hunted down, so to say, but hunted down for a good reason. God's goodness follows after he pursues each and every one of us because of his great love that he has for us. Just want to welcome you here to Neighborhood Church and say thank you to the worship team. We need to pray for uh, our uh, Steve and Charlene and Pastor Tom and June and most cyclers, Bruce and Jenny. They're at uh, the beach right now with a whole bunch of motorcycle people and uh, ministering. They're having a church service out there this morning, possibly about this time. I'm not sure when. They will be back the following, uh, next, next Sunday they'll be back for the month of August at least is what they tell me. So we have a few requests that we need to take to the Lord. Um, Tim and Pam Poole called that they have a great niece, a year, a little over a year old, and she took a really bad fall and is in and out of consciousness uh, continually. And so she's in the ER right now, and they're trying to figure out what's going on with her. Her name is Serana, and so we're going to pray for little baby Serana. And uh, we have others. I do have a good report for those who heard about Millie. She went to the hospital yesterday or two days ago, and she has a UTI, um, but she's getting better, and she's on her way home uh, this afternoon sometime, hopefully today. So just want to welcome you here. Um, to neighborhood church. If you have a prayer request, I think Colleen, you gave me one, didn't you? Yeah, you gave me one for a guy named Josh, a guy in his 40s it looks like about, but they found him unresponsive here in Central Park, and they're not sure what's going on, and so it's a very big week uh, to find out, and we'll just be praying for a miracle for him as well, and her sister Sammy, I believe. But who has an urgent, who else has an urgent request, something that you would like for us to take to the Lord, Paula? Courtney? Amen. We need to pray for Courtney. Anybody else? It's good to see you back, Don. His brother, Lonnie, needs prayer. So we will pray for him as well. So... Amen. Well, I'm going to read some of these off because we're, we're hitting some of them. Was there another one over there? You're pointing Larry? Yes, Ezekiel. Debbie, Debbie, yes, we need to keep Debbie Penny in prayer. Thank you so much, Ezekiel. Um, I have received a request on Wednesday for uh, somebody named Billy Ann who's fighting MS and diabetes. We have Courtney, stage four cancer. Um, Margo, everyone know Margo Short? Um, she is at a rehab center right now. If you know and love Margo, please call her, reach out to her, love on her, and uh, just keep her in your prayers. We don't want people to feel forgotten. Amen. And so if you need, um, just you can speak with me afterwards if you'd like to. And also, Jay, uh, I want to pray for my friend Jay at the Mission, Sunshine, as was mentioned as well, and also the CMA group. And there's others, I'm sure, that we need to take to the Lord. But uh, this is quite a list, but you know it's precious in the sight of the Lord. God cares about these people. Jay, right? Yes, Gary. Thank you, Shannon. Could I read something Please do. Let me, hold on, let me get a microphone real quick. 
There you go. As I was coming down from the platform, you were talking about God, you know, chased you down. Mm -hmm. There's a scripture that says God does that. Sure, read it. Praise God. And you know, the thing of it is, we wonder why doesn't God bless me? Why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he do this? Listen. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to carefully observe all his commands, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above than all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Do you understand what that says? It says the blessings of God will run you down and jump on you. If you obey his voice, he loves us. He wants us to love him. He wants, and Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey my commands. And that's the whole thing. The more we love him, the closer we draw to him, the more he loves us and the closer he draws to us. Amen. And he wants to run us down and throw those blessings right on top of us. Amen. Thank you, Gary. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28.1. Deuteronomy 28.1. Thank you, Gary. Let's stand. One more time, we're going to take this request to the Lord in Jesus' name. Lord, right now, we pray for this little baby, Serana. Lord, she's too young to pray herself, but God, we lift up this little baby. Lord, she took that bad fall, and we pray, God, for a miracle that she reverse any uh, trouble, any harm from being uh, knocked unconscious. Lord, we pray for a miracle in little baby Serana. Lord, draw that family closer to Jesus Christ, we pray. And Lord, we pray right now for every request that was mentioned. Lord, we pray for sunshine. Lord, we pray for Billy Ann, for Courtney, for Millie, for Margo, Jeanette, Nona. We pray for our CMA motorcycle group. Lord, we pray for Josh. We pray for Sammy and Jay. Lord, for every request that's been mentioned and even the ones I failed to mention. God, touch them by the grace of God. Lord, we pray for healings and a miracle, and Lord, that you would fill their homes, those hospital rooms, with the mighty presence of God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Oh, it's already starting to get warm, isn't it? We do have the air conditioner on, but it seems to not be air conditioning in it as much as I would hope for, but you know, we are blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. We have uh, just a few announcements to make. Um, at the end of the month, at the end of August, we have a painting crew. Do you remember the, some of you who've been here for a while, we had the crew that came in to help with the sheetrock and help do some repairs. Well, they're going to be coming on August 26th for a big project as we're going to be painting the outside of the church. Some may say, well, it doesn't look like it needs it. It needs it, especially look at the trim and everything, and we want God's house to look beautiful. And so Doug Knox and his wife, and I will tell you, it was very humbling when they came back in uh, three, four, or five months ago. These were super senior citizens, and they had their paint rollers and their paint brushes, and they painted the foyer, the hallway, the whole fellowship hall, and uh, they were just doing an amazing job. But to see them at their age still serving, still wanting to help, they're coming back at the end of August, and so I will let you know if you have two hands at work and two feet that work, uh, I can't promise you that we'll have something, but please talk to me, and if we can put you to work to be a service, to be a help, we would love to do so many hands will make the work a whole lot easier. Amen? 
And so uh, that's a blessing coming up. Also, just a few announcements or anniversaries. Mike and Hallie Budd, they have an anniversary on the 31st today. And Mike and Billy Feist have an anniversary on August 5th, in Jesus' name. We're going to open up God's Word right now this morning. And uh, the title for the message this morning is continuing off of the theme the past couple of weeks where I've been talking about uh, God's magnificent insignificance in, our, in your life. But the title is, Your, your Life Still Matters to God. Amen. Your life still matters to God. I don't care how young you are or how old you are, your life still matters to God. Your value is not tied up to your job. Your value is not tied up to what you are able to do in all of your smarts and wisdom. Society wants to cast aside babies before they're even born, and they want to cast aside the elderly after they're long retired because they're just draining the system. No, they're the ones who built everything that we have. Your life still matters to God. There are those who feel like they've sinned too far and they've just ruined their life and they just can't do anything good. Gary shared a fantastic scripture, Deuteronomy 28. If you will simply diligently hearken and obey the voice of the Lord, you will find that you will experience God's blessings pursuing after you in Jesus' name. Regardless of your age, regardless of your education, regardless of your money that you have in the account, regardless of the family that you come from, regardless of your past failures or successes, your life still matters to God. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, I'd like to read a few verses out of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how smart, how wealthy, what background you come from, your life matters to God. And God wants to have an impact through your life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. A couple of weeks ago, we were dealing with the blessings of God, and God had a blessing that he placed upon Abraham's life. If you have faith... In Jesus Christ, if you are following after him, if you are walking in obedience to the Lord, the blessing of Abraham is for you as well. God's favor is for you. It is not against you. This was a revolutionary thought, what Paul brought up to the Galatian church, because as today, even more so 2,000 years ago, society was held together by having these class distinctions of the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots. And here, for Christianity... It was revolutionary to have this thought. I'd like to read to you what I found from a commentary, a guy named Gordon Fee. He says, It is therefore especially difficult for most of us to imagine the impact of Paul's words in a culture where position and status preserved order through basically uncrossable boundaries. What does he mean? 2,000 years ago, if you were poor, you were going to stay poor the rest of your life. If you were educated, you're going to have the education, but if you're not, it's similar to like the caste system in India. You are stuck wherever you are in life, and Paul obliterates that through the Holy Spirit. He says, you all, the family of God, are one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we no longer find our basic value in what differentiates people from one another, but rather we find our value in the unity that Christ alone can bring through the diversity that he has in the body of Christ. What other organization on planet Earth is like the church? There is none. 
where you can have young and old, rich and poor coming together, uh, different, different backgrounds, different nationalities, ethnicities. It doesn't matter. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation being brought into the family of God. And it's not that we lose those distinctions. Men are still men, even today. Women are still women, even today. The elderly are still elderly and worthy of the honor and respect that they deserve. And if you're a kid, you're still a kid. It's not that the distinctions have been obliterated and they're meaningless. It means rather that, no, our value is found in Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it doesn't matter, again, the background, where you've come from, your life still matters to God. Uh, Tiffany brought up something I wish I could, I'm going to show you after church, but she talked about not comparing ourselves to others. Oh, goodness. We're going over in Matthew chapter 25. Turn there briefly, please, about the parable of the talents. Not comparing ourselves to other people. Sometimes we feel like our life doesn't matter when we get caught up in comparing our life to others. And that is a vicious trap. Don't compare your life to the life of somebody else. Your background, your childhood, your marriage, your family, your job. Don't compare that to somebody else. That is Satan's play day to try to bring discouragement and to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Matthew chapter 25. Now the preacher's got to turn there too. The parable of the talents is an encouraging scripture to show how God, he places us where he wants us. He gives you the tools and the talents that he wants you to have. Doesn't mean we don't try to develop what he's given to us, but God is the one who makes sure that we have what we need to do well in life. For, uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He called to them his servants and delivered to them his goods. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, I can see my kids. If I went and bought a pack of candy and I gave Joy five pieces and I gave Christopher two pieces and I gave Emmy and Gabby one piece, do you think that would be a very happy environment in the home? probably some of the first words that come out of my uh, children's mouth, not my kids alone, but is no. <laughs> and then when they can finally string a sentence together, it's, that's not fair. <laughs> well, we do that in life sometimes. We see what God has given to other people, and automatically, if we feel like, well, you only gave me one talent, Lord, that's not fair. And sadly, we do the same thing that we're going to find out the guy with the one talent did. We go and bury what God has given to us. So here he gives them their talents and he leaves on a journey. Verse 16, Matthew 25, the one who had received the five talents, he went and he traded with them and he made them another five talents. Likewise, he would receive the two talents, gained two more also. But he who had received one, he went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money after a long time. Could you repeat after me say after a long time? We talked on Wednesday night about trials. You know, some trials are short and some trials are long. After a long time, the Lord of those servants, he came and he settled accounts with them. He who had received the five came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
He also who had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and I was so jealous of the guy with five, I decided not to do anything with him either. No, that's not what it says. He says, look, I have gained two more talents beside them. Do you hear any discontent in that man's voice? Do you hear any pity party in that man's voice about the two talents? No. He took what God gave him. He traded with them. He made them into double of what God had given to him. And God's response in verse 23 was, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of our Lord. The emphasis of this pastor is the master distributed to each one according to their ability. Your life matters to God. Why? Not because of your background, because God has given you the gift of life. God has given you his talents. He has given you time, opportunity. He has placed you where you are at. It could be one opportunity that you have to make a difference, but if God has entrusted that into your hands, your job is to do something with that and make good of what God has given to you. Amen? Look at the response. The guy with a five and the guy with a two. Did they fear going to give an account of what they had given to the Lord? No. They were anxiously looking forward to say, Hey, Lord, look at what I've done. I can think of my kids. There's a fair comparison here. When they've done good, they've actually made their better done good, they come up to me and they just want to show it off and they look, Dad, what I did. On the other hand, if they've been misbehaving and not doing what they're supposed to do, no, they're usually going into a different room and making sure that Dad can't find them. (laughs) Don't be like that with the Lord. God has given you something special. He has given you a gift, a talent, ability. Don't compare it to that of somebody else. Say, Lord, you've given me life, health, vitality. You have given me opportunities all around you to serve you and to love you. Lord, I want to please you. And look at what the Lord's response to them was. Each of them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Everybody say little. Little. Probably one of the biggest uh, setbacks in life is when people are always waiting for more. I heard on the news, I don't know, I heard there was one ticket that won a $1 billion lottery. My goodness, I feel sorry for that person if somebody actually has that winning ticket. It's going to ruin them most likely. But they're always waiting for more. If I just had more, then I'll do good in life. If I just had something better, then I could finally turn my life around. And God says, you're getting it backwards. Take the little of what God has given to you. Your life matters. Take all the brokenness. I love that song, that, the, the uh, song about the same love. God takes the humble, he takes the weak, he takes the broken. You give your life in surrender and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ right where you're at. And you say, Lord, I just want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and I want to be faithful with the little that you've given to me, and Lord, it's going to become at least double of what you've given to me, because I want to hear those words, well done, in Jesus' name, and then... Enter into the joy of the Lord. The guy with the one talent, what did he do? He buried it. He stifled it. I don't know if it was out of self-pity. I don't know if it was out of jealousy because he was comparing himself to everybody else. And this generation, more than most, 
has that problem, especially because the media is feeding that into this generation of, you know what, you've been wronged and everyone's failed you and they just need to give to you and they're burying the opportunities of what God has given to them. They're going to have to give an account to them, to the Lord. And if God says, I've given you one little chance, one little opportunity, take that opportunity, take that chance, serve, love, be humble, be vigilant, use what little God has given to you and God will turn it into something magnificent. There's coming a day of an account. This wasn't in my, in my notes, but I, I got to say this church, your life matters to God because everything we do has an eternal impact for all eternity. You could be in a nursing home And even the thoughts and the words that you speak and how you conduct yourself, it has eternal impact, a possibility of producing an eternal reward. I'm not going to knock people who make investments. There is absolutely a place. This is actually about investing what God has given to you, making good use of it. But there are people who are more willing to make an investment in a financial area of their life, and they have more, uh, how should I say it, more excitement, more enthusiasm for that, that if I drop $100 on this investment, it could become $10,000 or whatever. How much more should we be willing to say, Lord, I want to make an investment of serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, I want to love my neighbor. Lord, I want to serve you wherever I'm at. Lord, I want to have that listening ear. I want to pray for others even as they need prayer, and I want prayer because every good thing you do for the Lord, it's going to bring an eternal reward that will last forever. Your life is significant. It matters to God because everything has an eternal either benefit or consequence. Your life matters to God, still matters, because regardless of public recognition, your life matters. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, regardless of public recognition, there's most things that happen in life are not done in the, in the limelight, the spotlight. They're done in, in hidden, in secret. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, it says, Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue or in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, that your charitable deeds may be seen in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." Regardless of public recognition, your life matters to God. Serving in obscure, hidden places, no recognition. Uh, Often people think about the missionaries that traveled to Africa or China 100 years ago, that that is just the ultimate end-all, be-all, and that is amazing. But what about hidden moms who are changing diapers and chasing around toddlers? Is there any glory in that in this world? How about the dads again? I brought this up last week who go to work every day and just do their job. That's hidden obscurity. Nobody notices that. Nobody seems to praise that. But regardless of public recognition, your life, it matters to God. I think about Anna the prophetess in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. I want to read that briefly here. A story of Anna. She was a widow for many years. She was 84 years of age when this was written. It says, there was one Anna, Luke 2, verse 36. She was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was of a great age, lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This widow was a woman of about 84 years old, but she did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fasting and prayers night and day. She came in that instant and gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. Your love, your prayers are significant in the eyes of God. My heart, especially this month, is going out for the elderly, but it's also going out for those who are perhaps disabled and they, they're young enough, they want to work, they want to do something, but it feels like, Lord, I can't do it. What can I do with my life that is of anything of significance and value? Here, Anna, she lost her husband. She was a widow for possibly 60 years. But yet the Bible's record of her is she served God with fasting and prayer day and night, night and day, day and night, night and day. She was fasting and praying. What was she doing? She was looking for redemption in Israel. And God blessed her and graced her with the privilege of seeing Jesus, her Messiah, as a little baby being presented to the Lord in that temple. What does that teach you about what God values? Did the world see her as having anything of great value? No, she's a widow. What do you have to offer? Oh, we love you, you're kind, but you can't really do anything good. I mean, look at all the problems in Rome and all the problems in Israel. And here we're being occupied by the Roman government. You can't do anything, Anna. Oh, yes, she could. She served God with fasting and prayer. It was hidden. It was secret before the eyes of men. But God saw what she was doing in in the hidden secret place, and he rewarded her openly. Listen, there's some, who's grown a garden? Anybody grown a garden this year? A few people? You want to know that what happens underground is more, is probably some of the most important of what happens above ground? You got to have the good soil. Those roots got to go down deep. And those roots, they need to have good nourishment. They need to be watered. Amen. Your life and my life is the same way. Your life matters to God. But what matters most often is not what everybody else sees. It's what nobody else sees. Lord, if I could just get my act together and if I could make a good impression, if I could get that job or finally get things and we think about the external things, but the Lord, he's more concerned about the interior of your life. What's hidden? What's underground? Anna was a widow. She was serving God with fasting and prayer and God showed great value and worth for what she did. I want to read one more verse for widows in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Your life matters to God still. First Timothy chapter 5, we're going to read about in verse 3 through 5. It says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. I want to read to you a definition. Honor means to provide aid or financial assistance with the implication that this is an appropriate means of showing respect. So when it says to honor widows, it's talking about not just honoring them, saying, boy, what a great, neat lady. The Bible's means is like, you know what? If they need some financial help, they need some financial help. It says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety, respect at home, and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. That's a great idea, is it not? It's very heartbreaking to walk through a nursing home and you see somebody who's been basically left there and forgotten by family because they're an inconvenience. That is frightening to think about standing before God for that. 
It says here in verse 5, Now she who is really a widow indeed and left alone, but she trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Now she who is really a widow and left alone, she trusts in God and she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. It's talking about honoring those widows. Your life still matters to God. And if you are elderly, senior, we maybe have Floyd watching at home, who knows? We have a handful of seniors who are part of this church. Your life matters. It has incredible value and worth to God. You may not be able to teach Sunday school. You may not be able to lead or direct something. And you not, may not be the one out painting the outside of the building. But you know what? God loves you. And he sees that heart of prayer and intercession, that heart of supplication. And you wonder sometimes, Lord, why are you keeping me around so much and so long? Is because the young people are too busy to pray and that's not acceptable. It's not that it's all right with God. They're just too busy to pray and they should be let off the hook. No, there are things that God can only accomplish in this world through prayer. Please say amen. amen. We have midterm elections coming up and that's about all I'll say about that for this morning. This country needs prayer. Oh, Lord, does my life matter for anything? Do I have any value and worth? And God says, oh, yes. For you listen to me in the middle of the night, and you do pray for those who I bring before your remembrance. Oh, Lord, do I matter, Lord, why am I even here? Because you're looking for redemption to come to your family, and you are the one who is still praying and still interceding. You are the one who is still loving. Last week, I brought up the gift of faith. That doesn't matter what we have. Anyone can have faith, but I want to ask you a question. Cannot every one of us in this sanctuary love other people? Oh boy, I'll tell you, sometimes there's nothing like that love that comes from a grandpa or a grandmother in Jesus' name. Even in times of seemingly senseless suffering, your life still matters to God. I think about Job who went through his extended sickness and illness. He had no comprehension of what God was doing. He didn't know about that debate between Satan and the Lord when Satan accused Job. Oh, you only love God because he, you're blessing him. Here, touch what he has and he'll curse you to your face. Job wasn't privy to that conversation before the trial, during the trial, and who knows until how long after the trial. Your life matters to God even in times of seemingly senseless suffering. Paul the Apostle said, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Why does God allow people to go through sickness? I will say it could possibly be because no one is truly exercising faith to pray. But it could also be because, because God has allowed that in this world at times to test the hearts of the people around that person who is sick or disabled or going through something difficult. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Please turn there. Lord, why am I still here? Why am I going through this, this sickness or my body's broken down and I'm old and I just want to go home, Lord? Why are you keeping me around? Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to read verse 2. Possibly they could be going through that because somebody's not really prayed enough for them, but I don't always believe that's the case. I believe that God sometimes, he places trials and tests before us to see what is in our heart and the people around them. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. It says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, that does not refer to sickness at all, but I want to ask you a question. If we, say, if we know somebody who's facing a disability, they have a disability, so to say. They're bedridden. They're not able to function as most people are able to function. Could it not be possible that God is testing family, the church, and those around them to see how they will respond to those who are struggling, to see how they will love those who are hurting? I believe absolutely yes and amen. Lord, why do I matter? Does my life mean anything? Does it hold any value anymore? Why am I in this bed? First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, please. Oh, yes, your life matters to God immensely. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. says, but may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, may he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Who wants to go to heaven here? I want to tell you something. Your sufferings cannot add anything to the sufferings of Christ for your salvation. Please say amen. amen. The only thing that washes your sins white as snow and brings you into the family of God, cleanses you and redeems you, is the sufferings of Christ. Please say amen. amen. Nevertheless, your suffering still has value in the eyes of the Lord. I looked up some words here, and I want you to pay close attention to what Peter is trying to say here. For this reason, when Jesus told Peter and the disciples that, hey, who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah, others say you're one of the great prophets, but who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, blessed are you for flesh and blood. Humanity hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, he's revealed this to you. Oh, by the way, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I'm about ready to suffer and die. What was Peter's response to Jesus after Peter just confessed that you are the Lord and the Messiah? Far be it from you. You shall not. You don't need to suffer, Lord. And what did Jesus do to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for you're not savoring the things of God, but the things that be of men. That same Peter who when Jesus was being tried and he is being flogged and whipped and beaten, Peter, the fisherman, what did he do? He ran from suffering. Oh, you're one of his disciples, aren't you, Peter? No, no, I don't know the man. No, your accent gives you away. You're one of those Galileans. And he started talking trash and dirty. I don't know the man. And three times he denied his Lord. He wanted nothing to do with suffering at all. All of a sudden, Jesus looked over at Peter and they locked eyes. And his best friend, 
Jesus is looking at Peter. They had shared memories. They had walked together for three years. They had seen the miracles. Peter walked on water with him. He's looking in the eyes of the one with whom he walked on the water with. And I don't believe those eyes were, how could you do that, you creep? (laughs) I believe it was eyes of love. Yes, disappointment, but not a disappointment that cast him away. It was, now you remember what I told you, do you not? You thought that you'd be willing to die for me and give your life for me, but Peter, no, you're still dependent upon your own strength and who you are, your wisdom, your might. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And thank God for Pentecost. Jesus rose from the dead. He went looking for Peter. He redeemed, he restored Peter. He brought him back. John chapter 21, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Go and feed my sheep. By the way, this isn't part of the message, but things come in my mind, and I'll share them as they come sometimes. What is so significant about feeding sheep and feeding people? Your life matters to God. Whatever God tells you to do, you do what God told you to do. If it's washing dishes, you wash dishes. Here, Jesus restored Peter. Pentecost came. He poured out the Holy Spirit upon Peter. And Peter is no longer running from suffering for Christ, but instead he says in 1 Peter 5.10, but may the God of all grace, the God who locked eyes with me in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he didn't, he didn't, it wasn't eyes of condemnation. How could you, you coward? Those eyes of grace and love that were just speaking to me more than any sermon ever could, reaching out to me. He has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, He wanted the disciples to know that after you have suffered, everybody say suffer. Suffer. I will say I am not on this page, and I want to establish something here for you, and you be patient with me. There are some in Pentecost circles who say this word suffering has nothing to do with the ailments that we go through in life, bodily ailments, that it is only dealing with persecution. And I want to say that's a bunch of baloney for this reason. There is not a person on planet Earth who lives very long that you don't go through some pain and suffering in this life in your body as well. It could be Satan trying to torment, Satan trying to afflict you. And you know what? I think about the lady who has been over for, was it 18 years? Daughter of Abraham. And here she was just walking around like this. And Jesus, should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from her infirmity? Woman, be healed. Is it not possible that Satan still tries to afflict the people of God? And I will say, I don't believe there's one person on planet Earth who understands why God even ever allows that in all of its fullness. After you have suffered a while, I'm not saying it's God's will for you to be sick, and I'm willing to risk being misunderstood. After you have suffered a while... It could be from persecution, harassment. You lose your job because you take a stand. You know what? I'm not doing that. I'm not going to endorse that. I'm not going to support that cause. And what do they do? They marginalize you in society. You're no longer part of things. And they're trying to do that to Christians left and right. That is suffering and persecution. There is also suffering that people go through. My dad was one example. Is it nice to be in a bed for 10 years? I get the flu for two days. And after one day, two days of being in a bed with a fever, man, you try to get out of bed and every bone in your body hurts and you're just like, oh my goodness. How about being bed bound for 10 years? I don't want that, Lord. 
Robert Ratliff, I don't know if Charlotte's watching or not, but her husband, Robert, passed away. He was bedbound for 10 years plus. I'm not going to split hairs about all the whys. I don't know why, but I shared with him before he passed and with family and even after, I says, you know what? God values his faith immensely. He's not going to be on the front of any magazine, any newspaper for what he has done. But you know what? For somebody to endure sickness for 10 long years is more courageous to keep an attitude of faith and love in their hearts than somebody who climbs Mount Everest. You climb Mount Everest, and you know what? You can boast about it. You can brag about it. And don't tell me the human heart doesn't like to boast and brag a little bit. Man, I trained, and I did this, and we got the gear, and let me show you the picture at the top of Mount Everest. Or, man, I did this, and I did that. And there's nothing wrong with having fun and doing different things. But here's my point. There is no glory in suffering in this world. And yet, how many scores of people are suffering in their body, in their minds, either in mental anguish, or they're suffering physically, they're neglected, they're forgotten, they're abandoned, and they have a mountain that they carry every single day. Pastor Bob, the former pastor of this church, he's the one who planted, started this church. He had a statement I'll never forget. He had a handful of them. One of the fun ones, people call him up on the phone. How you doing, Pastor Rob? Up to my ears in the alligators. <laughs> he was from Alabama. It was kind of funny. I was like, up to my ears in the alligators? I like that one. This is one he said all the time, though, almost always, when I'd ask him, how you doing? Still climbing the mountain, son. Still climbing the mountain. How you doing? Still climbing the mountain. Still climbing the mountain. Sink your pick was another one. But may the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Once again, please do not misunderstand me. I am not diminishing the ministry of healing, laying hands on the sick. I am simply trying to share another side of the coin because sometimes I feel like people, they, they lose all hope. They're like, you know what, is the only purpose in life to have people lay hands on me and to pray for me to be healed for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and me to feel like a failure? I failed. Boy, they sure failed. <laughs> you know, I'm still here. God, what are you doing in my life? May the God of all grace. God has grace for you. He has called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, may he perfect. That word in the Greek means to make somebody completely adequate, sufficient for something. May he establish you. That means to cause somebody to become stronger in the sense of more firm and unchanging in their belief and faith. May he strengthen you, cause someone to become more capable. May he settle you which means to provide a firm basis for belief or practice. After he has perfected, established, strengthened, and settled you, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Your life still matters to God, even in times of prolonged suffering. I think of Fisherman Don here. How many years did Cheryl fight cancer? Eight. Eight years. It wasn't fun one bit. Horrible. God, what are you doing? I want to tell you that woman had a faith like a bulldog. She wasn't a money bulldog, but she was a godly bulldog. And any woman, any man who can walk through cancer treatments, radiation treatments, any woman who can have her body ravaged by cancer, 
and still maintain a strong faith in God? Did that mean she's perfect? No, she wasn't perfect, but she was perfect for Dawn. She was perfect for this church. And we have scores of others that I could begin to mention that even after their body had been ravaged by cancers and wicked sicknesses, Satan was trying to torment and afflict their body. And what do I believe partly what's happening is Satan's accusing God's children day and night before the Heavenly Father. The accuser of the brethren. Oh, they don't really love you, Lord. Oh, they'll sing that song, the goodness of God is running after me when everything's great, but just let something go wrong in their life and see how long they sing that song. I heard Cheryl sing that. I saw her in this church going through cancer treatment, and I would see her over there behind Rick and Kitty, and I would see her with her arms up in the air. I would see Roberta West, Debbie Moran's mom, 90-plus years of age, and I would see her with her arms up in the air, worshiping the Lord. I'll bring up Sandy Pitts. Is Sandy here? No. There's a lady. Elna, could you wave at us? Everybody see Elna in the pink shirt? I'm going to brag on Sandy Pitts a little bit. She's the one who comes and scares me half to life every day when I see her walking to church. She drives a white four-door Jeep Cherokee, an old one. Looks like things ready to fall apart. But Sandy Pitts, she lives out in the boonies. I won't say where she lives, none of your business, but she lives out in the boonies. And she comes in that dilapidated old broken down car. And that woman, she's had her heart out for heart surgery. She has things and issues going on in her body that I think truly 95% of people would use as an excuse to say, I just don't think I can make it to church today. She's not here today. The fact that she's not here means that something's really going on. Migraines that you can't imagine, possibly some can't imagine of what she goes through. Intense migraines, intense shortness of breath. She gives me practically a heart attack walking to the church when I see her park her car, and here she comes on her little walking stick. And hi, Nicole. You when I say gives me a heart attack, by the way, I mean that in the most loving way. I'm just like, oh, God, go, 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 go. I'm cheering them on. But I'm like, here they come. And they're just walking like this. And I'm not saying it's God's best for them to be like that, but I'll say, what do you do in the meantime? Oh, God, bless them. Oh, God, keep your anointing upon them. Oh, God, may they feel your great love. Oh, God, may they feel that they are special and they are loved. Oh, God, look at them coming. Lord, they are still wanting to be in the family in the house of God. Oh, look at their faith that they have, oh, Lord. Satan's accusing them day and night, and you know what? I believe they're getting beat up in heaven. And God's just like walloping them, saying, you know what? Look at Fisherman Don. He's still here. He's been gone. He's been fishing, but look at him. Satan accused him. Can you hear him, hear him, everybody? Real quick. It was a test of Cheryl's love for God. And, you know, not only did he test her, he tested me. And Pastor Steve can tell you that I was on the fence a lot of the time. And when Pastor Steve and I would pray for Cheryl, and it went on for quite a while, I looked at Pastor Steve and said, God's not listening. God is not listening. But you just, after that many years, you, I don't know, I, I guess you just come to the fact that God tests all of us every day. Amen. So you remember this. And when you're feeling down and you feel terrible, 
got God's stuff looking after you. You just look around those people. There's a lot worse off than you are. And no matter how bad things get, there's a silver lining there someplace. Just look for it. Amen. Amen. Your life still matters to God. I want to read to you a quote from a pastor, Pastor Bill Johnson, down at Bethel in Reading. His wife recently passed away, I believe, from cancer. And this statement at her funeral he made was absolutely, absolutely amazing. Where's my glasses? Oh, no. Here they are. Do you ever have something you lose and, like, it's in your pocket and it's in your hand and you're, like, looking all around for it? I think I did that yesterday. Had it in my, my hand. I'm just, like, looking all around. I'm like, honey, I can't find it, you know? And, like, oh, man, it's right here in my hand. That's sometimes like the Lord, by the way. We're looking for something that's right in your hand. Bill Johnson, he says, God is not a vending machine that I get to put a quarter into and withdraw from him what I want. He chooses what he gives. And I want to tell you, Pastor Bill Johnson, spirit-filled heritage, three generations of pastors in his family, very Pentecostal as you get. Please listen with open ears and an open heart from another man who lost his wife as well to cancer. God is not a vending machine that I get to put a quarter into and withdraw from him what I want. He chooses what he gives. But it is the wicked at heart that say, God didn't do what I wanted. He's a liar. May I never be found critiquing God when things don't go my way. May I always be found having a heart ready to be critiqued by him instead. Did you hear that? I want to read that again. It is the wicked who say, God didn't do what I wanted. He's a liar. May I never be found critiquing God when things don't go my way. May I always be found having a heart ready for God to critique my heart. Is God my friend? Yes, he is. But he is my Lord first. Is God my friend? Yes. But he is my Lord first. And I will never have the pain I'm feeling right now in eternity. When you're going through grief, that's an immense pain. You can't imagine. I've not walked through that. But having walked through many of you, it's an intense pain that I can't even identify with. This is what Bill Johnson had to say. But the pain that I am feeling right now from having missing his wife, he will never have to feel that pain in eternity. So in this moment... It is a privilege to respond correctly to the, Lord, to the Lord of my life with a deeper trust and devotion. I will bow before the Lamb on the throne in awe and worship Him forever, but never will I have the face-to-face chance to do that while I'm in pain. So in this moment, I choose to do that. When I said yes to Jesus, I gave up my right to fully understand or to be in charge of my life. That's huge, church. When I surrendered my life to Christ, I gave up my right to fully understand or to be in charge of my life. I'd like to close with this. Years ago, the Lord brought to my mind that in this life, church, it is our only opportunity to live by faith. When we finally stand before Jesus, now abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. When you finally see him face to face, you're going to see Jesus face to face. Are you going to need to exercise great faith and trust? And No. 
the only opportunity, we have the privilege of the greatest love gift that we can give to God. It's not your bank account and all that. It's your faith in the darkness when you do not understand that God sees and he values the trial that you walk through, but may the God of all grace, that after you have suffered a while, may he strengthen, establish, settle you. May he perfect you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. No matter what station you're at in life, no matter what your condition Regardless of your education, your economic status, your financial, your family background, past failures or successes, your life still matters. Regardless of public recognition, whether your life is in total, complete obscurity, your life matters to God and he sees all that you do. Even in times of seemingly senseless suffering, your life still matters to God. All things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Why does your life matter? Because he's conforming you to the image of Christ. Doesn't matter if you're at the mission, the friendship house, if you're in Channel Point, or if you're in Pacific Care Nursing Home, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. If your life is being conformed to his image, that is all that matters in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, church. Lord, we thank you so much for the amazing gift of life and all that you've given to us. Lord, my heart's desire these past three weeks, Lord, is for faith to be stirred, hope to be stirred, encouragement in the family of God. That, Lord, even if they're long past retirement, Lord, everything that they're doing for you, it matters immensely to you. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding, even a glimpse to see a little bit of the work that you are accomplishing in the lives of each and every person here in Jesus' name. With every eye closed and heads bowed this morning, if you need to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, surrender your right to understanding and surrender your right to control and dictate what God does in your life, and you want to say no more, Lord, Lord, I want to give up those rights, Lord, and I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you this morning and you want to surrender to him, would you please raise your hand to anybody here? Say, Jesus, I need you, Lord. Amen. Anybody else? Jesus. Lord, right now, we commit our hearts to you, Lord, for this one who says, I do want to surrender God. I pray that they would find a place of repentance and surrender and trust. Lord, as we prepare to leave this sanctuary, but not your calling, not your presence, Lord, I ask that you would use us, Lord, wherever we're at. May we find significance in every part of our life. Lord, even when it seems like it's so mundane, so drudgerous, Lord, may we see your hand at work in our life wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need individual prayer for anything, please uh, come for prayer. Please don't forget Margot Short, and please don't forget Sandy Pitts. If there's somebody else here in the sanctuary you failed to see this morning, please give them a call. Love on them, care for them, reach out to them.